chapter number 7 in the book of Joshua. What we saw there was God was really bringing to a close the issue of hidden sin that had been plaguing the Israelites. And what we saw was the fact that Joshua, being guided by God, directed, or was directed by God, to bring uh, Achan and his family and all of his possessions into the Valley of Achor. Achor translates trouble. He brought them into the Valley of Trouble. And there would be in that place that God would deal with the penalty of their sin with their lives. And took note of the fact that we took note of the fact that all of the people were, were in agreement with God. Literally, understand, this would have included his relatives. So Achan's relatives were okay with what was taking place because you know why? They had all suffered as a result of Achan and his family's literal uh, open and purposeful rebellion against the Lord. So authorized by God, what would happen is Joshua and the Israelites would execute the penalty of death upon them. And, and even in this moment, which is amazing, even in the moment where God is literally killing these people, we still saw him extend mercy because his command was that they would be destroyed by fire. But what we find is in the book that God actually reveals that they were actually stoned before they were burned. To be stoned, that's a relatively quick and painless death. To be burned is a horrific, slow, and painful death. So even in that command, God revealed his mercy. And though that now said that when what we saw through this was the Israelites had faithfully completed what God had expected of them. They had dealt with this regrettable and, uh, and painful task of confronting and dealing with sin. But what was so neat is the fact that once it was done, we saw that God had restored them. We saw that God took away his anger against the people. Recognize God always, always wants his people to walk in fellowship with him. Always God's heart. He is a heart of restoration, but this is not always possible, and it's because many times sin is in the way. And so by dealing with the hidden sin, that the people had done exactly what God expected of them, their relationship with Him, their fellowship had been mended. And can I tell you that if you're a believer today, and your fellowship with God is broken, listen, it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. What we're going to see today is the beautiful picture of mending of that relationship and how God functions with those in whom he has forgiven. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture. So if you're struggling today and you say, listen, I'm not restored. Listen, it's not because God does not, is not prepared for you to be restored. He is calling out to you as we speak. And his desire is that you would walk with him, that you would be one with him. And so with the, the stain of sin removed from their ranks, what we're going to see is Joshua and the Israelites are going to turn to God for instruction on exactly how they're to move forward in their conquest of the promised land. And this morning, what we're going to see is they're going to reestablish, he is going to reestablish his initial game plan for the Israelites. And what he'll do is he's going to show them, first of all, he'll establish them in their confidence, then in their destination, then in his promise, then their victory, and then their tactics. And our message is this morning, which is entitled, Back on Track. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God, for the message. Uh, Lord, I have prayed and studied, and uh, God, give me my heart, and Lord, I've asked you to direct and lead me, and Father, I believe that you have, and Father, I'm going to do my very best today to get out of the way. I would ask, uh, Lord, that you empower me, uh, Lord, to, uh, to be a vessel, uh, not filled with self or with sin, Lord, but God, help my heart to be set aside. Lord, help my desires to be set aside, that you would speak through me. Uh, Lord, I pray for your power and for your word to speak to us in a way that only you can. Thank you for each one that's here. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear, God, that we would be changed today, forever changed, and we would be people that have been restored unto God. Help us, Lord, if we're off track to get back on track. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says here, verse number 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with, with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai, and her king, as thou didst unto Jericho, and her king. Only the spoil thereof, and the cattle thereof, ye shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee in ambush for the city behind. So the Lord has basically hit the restart button when it comes to Joshua. He's treating them exactly as he did prior to the issue of Achan's hidden sin. What we see here is the fact that he's dealing with them because of the fact that they have done what he required of them. They must address the sin. And because they've done that, guess what? He's treating it just like he has no idea. what He's going to treat them just like there's no concern at all. Listen, he has forgotten their sin. And what's so neat about God is God does not hold our sin over our heads, right? He does not take my failure and show it to me time and time and time again. When God forgives, God forgives. What we find with humanity is that we don't do that. What we find with the devil is, guess what? He doesn't do that. If you're being beat up from a past sin, can I tell you, if you cannot get it out of your heart, it is not God. It is the enemy trying to destroy you. We've all got failures. We've all got a past. We've all taken missteps. We've all jacked up this Christian life plenty of times. And we could spend all of our time focused on our failure. We could say, you know what? No, that's not what God would have for me. Because what's so cool about this, the fact that He treats them just like He was before. It's so awesome. He never mentions, in fact, the Bible, God never mentions Achan's sin again. Ever. It gets mentioned one time by the people, but not by God. And this wonderful picture that this is for us, that God says, you know what? When I forgive, I forgive. It's it's done. And because, you see, God doesn't hold grudges. We look in Jeremiah 31, verse 34. It says this, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. This isn't a command to to the Jews, but I want you to listen to this thing God says here. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. He gives us a principle that His forgiveness is forgotten. And I'm going to give you a a public service announcement for everyone watching online, everybody. This is for all of us to hear. If we claim that we have forgiven someone who has failed us or has hurt us, and we just cannot stop reminding them of their failure, can I just tell you, you have not forgiven them. You've not. Now, I'm not telling you that you can forget what was done. We can't. We're human. We're still going to remember it. But the problem is this. I can either choose to live in the past and drag the past along, or I can say, you know what? I can't change the past. No more can they go back and change their past than we can go back and change our past. None of us are perfect. We've all messed things up. So since none of us can fix it, what we have to do is say, you know what? I'm going to leave the past in the past, and I'm I'm going to move forward. What does Paul tell us? He tells us this beautifully in Philippians 3, verses 13 through 16. Know Paul's background. Paul was a huge disappointment in his eyes to God because he had literally persecuted Christians, hunting them down. When he was on Damascus, when he got got saved on the road to Damascus, he was going to collect Christians. He had a decree to go get people and bring them. And so what happens is, here's Paul who has all this in his past. He says this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
I press towards the, uh, the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. When you see the word perfect, that means mature in your faith. As many as us that be mature, be thus minded. This is the way we've got to be. We've got to always be pressing forward. We've got to be looking to the future. And if anything be otherwise minded, listen, if you're struggling with that issue, look and he says, God shall reveal even this unto you. Listen, nevertheless... Whereto we have already attained. He says, look, you are forgiven. If you're a child of God, you are forgiven. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us forgive. Let us mind the same thing. And so with this spirit of forgiveness, God is going to establish Joshua and the Israelites in their confidence. Verse 1. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Okay. Now if that sounds familiar, it should. Because literally, God almost used the exact same wording in his first interaction with Joshua in Joshua 1.9. He says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Dismayed means to be unnerved. That means to be shaken to the core. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So in using this same language, what God's doing and what God's revealing to him is really a do-over. Okay? How many of you guys have ever played, as kids, you played a, maybe a street game or something like that. You're out playing kickball and a car comes. Yeah. Ah, man, you're mid-play. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Do over. Do over. What does a do over mean? You reset. Yeah. It's just like the first one didn't happen. We start over. That's what God's doing. He's telling them, listen, you are fully restored. All is forgiven. And because of that, their confidence in him should be unwavering. Listen, he's reminding them of this promise, and it's important that he does, and we can understand why he does. Because remember, it was his absence during the time of Achan's sin that shook them. Now, understand, God wasn't absent because of him. He was absent because of them. Even Joshua was shaken to the core. This man of great faith was shaken. Because what happened? They lost faith in God because of his apparent failure to them. So he had promised that he would be with them, that he would never leave them or forsake them. And guess what? Here they were feeling as if they'd been left behind. But see, prior to this understanding of why that was the case and why God had taken his hand off of them, Joshua, we can hear it in his heart. We can hear his dismay in Joshua 7, verses 8 and 9. This is just after their failure, after their defeat at Ai. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies, when they're running scared? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it. Listen, all of our enemies are going to come and shall environ us round. They're going to circle around us and cut off our name from the earth. They're going to kill us. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? Listen, now that you've left us, what are we supposed to do? He's freaked out, man. He's lost faith. And what we see in God's callback in this wording, what he's doing is directing Joshua back. Fear not. Neither be dismayed. Listen, because you listened to me in the issue of Achan, you now have nothing to fear. You and I are good, Joshua. We're going to rock this thing. God's reinforcing his commitment to him. The same commitment that he made back in Joshua 1.5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. He's reminding him, hey, this is what I promised. And guess what? Because we're right, it's all good. He's reasserting that their confidence must be in him, not in themselves. This is direly important for us. Our confidence must be in God, not in who we are, not in our talent, our personality, or who it is we believe that we are. Listen, our confidence is in Christ. 
Because our bond with Him, with our Savior, is an eternal bond. But what happens? They had this sense of distance between them because of sin. And the only thing that can cause a sense of distance between you and I and God is sin. Not that it ends our relationship, but it impacts our relationship. Right? It impacts our relationship. It causes a sense of distance. Why does God spend an entire chapter of the book of Joshua reinforcing again and again and again the issue of sin? Because if we are to, or if we are to actually get the conquest in the promised land of our life, we must deal with sin because that is the one thing that will keep us from attaining it. It must be dealt with and eradicated. It must be brought before the Lord, which is exactly what God did with him. So in that strained relationship of somebody who is struggling with their faith because of sin, God's calling them to get it right. Their confidence must be in God. And understand, if our confidence is in God and not in ourselves, guess what it does? It keeps us out of sin. Because the more we believe in ourselves, the more we become empowered in our flesh. And the more we empower our flesh, the more easily we step into sin. The more dependent I am upon God and more confidence I have in Him and less in myself, much easier to stay out of sin. So Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 7 through 5 through 7 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Listen to verse number 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Okay, if we were going to just break this down, and you were going to go, okay, well, how do I do this? This is the simplest way we could say it. Stay away from sin. Stop putting your faith in yourself. And fully rely on God. If we could consistently do those three things, you'd be amazed at the quality of the Christian life that you would be able to live. Stay out of sin, stop trusting in ourselves, and fully rely on God. And so with their confidence in God restored, he establishes them in their second point, their destination. Number one says this, it says, Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. Now the first time he went to Ai, what well, understand, Joshua was the one that selected that as their destination. You remember that? Joshua selected along with his men. Now, prior to his understanding, what had happened is Achan's sin had already taken place. They were cursed at that time. But instead of seeking the Lord's advice or seeking God's direction, what happened was he didn't confer with God at all. Joshua and his men selected Ai as the destination. They also formulated the game plan and they actually, what do you call it, executed the game plan. So they did it all without God. And that's the problem. It wasn't necessarily the destination, because understand, God's going to send them to the same place. The destination was not the issue. It was the fact of who selected that destination. And that made me think about this. You know, so many times in our, in our lives, we think, you know, this is, young people will think, you know, this is my career. This is what, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be whatever I'm going to be. And they go, okay, I know how, that's what I want to be. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the school that I believe I should go to. I'm going to follow the path that I had established for myself. I'm going to follow the timeline that I established. This is how it should all work out. And so by this time in my life, I should be this person. The problem is that person never turns to God. They never say, God, what's your purpose of my life? Now understand, God gives us talents, abilities, skills, and desires, right? Well, he puts them in us for a reason. So it's not that he doesn't necessarily have the same path for you. The problem is we don't trust him to get there. Because, again, he wants to get them to AI. That's the whole deal. The problem was they were willing to usurp his plan and do it their way. And guess what? It was a big flop. Full flat on their faces. And why is it sometimes people go, you know what? Well, gosh, I want to do things God's way. I want to do things God's way. And then they find themselves, why, why won't God bless my dream? 
Why won't God allow this to happen? He knows how hard I've worked. I've dedicated myself to so much of this effort. But why won't it work? And it's not a matter of the fact that God doesn't want you to be successful in that career, but he wants you to do it according to his plan, according to his timeline. And sometimes what happens is we find ourselves so filled up with our desires for what it is we're trying to achieve that we're willing to skip over what God's trying to tell us. Sometimes God will open doors or shut doors, and we don't have ears to hear. Instead of following God's leading, as they did at Jericho, right, they did it their way. And we know the fact that what happened, right? They did this thing their way. And can I just promise you, if we'll do things God's way from the beginning, listen, we can save ourselves so much heartache, so much frustration, so much disappointment. Now, what's happened with, the, with Joshua and the Israelites is they're going to follow God's plan. And what's going to happen, what's so cool about us, he will repeat what he told them about Jericho as he establishes them in, their prom, in his promise. Verse 1, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. Again, this should sound familiar because remember when they were marching to Jericho, this is what he said in Joshua 6.2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Okay? He's saying, listen, it's already yours. It's already yours. All you have to do is take it. And we know how that worked out. It was miraculous. The battle of Jericho was unbelievable. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. But it was an easy victory for them. All because why? The reason why it was successful. Where was their confidence? Their confidence was in the Lord, not in themselves. What happened there? Because of that confidence, they had a full reliance on God. They wanted Him to select their destination. They didn't cross the, the Jordan and say, Jericho is where we're heading. No. They said, God, where would you have us to be? And what happened? They then followed his destination. Then by their faith in his promise that they couldn't be defeated, they confidently walked and marched around the city. They figured this is exactly what's going to happen. And they followed God's instructions. And we see that these instructions about AI, what God's doing is he's saying, Look, listen, if you guys will just be faithful, if you'll be faithful, what do I tell you to do? Guess what? You're going to have the same kind of outcome at Jericho. You, I'm requiring you just to be faithful. And you see, God rewards faithfulness in all aspects of life. If God has an expectation of us and we meet that expectation, God blesses us. He walks with us. We break fellowship when we're unfaithful. But faithfulness strengthens our fellowship with God. And he's requiring of Joshua and the Israelites faithfulness. And what's so cool about God is God models for us faithfulness every day. In the most unimaginable ways. By the fact that we can set our clocks by the rising of the sun. It's faithful, right? The air that we have to breathe. You don't walk outside and go, hope there's air today. (laughs) It's just going to be there, right? There's going to be food to eat. There's going to be clothing to wear. God's going to provide for us the beating heart that's in our chest. I don't have to sit and go, beat one, beat two. No, God does it. He handles it for me. I don't have to think about it. It's amazing. And then for the fact that He would put a Savior on the cross for the sins of the world. That anyone can come to him. He's faithful to deliver. And then that last one, forgiveness of sins. Boy, God is, God is faithful. The only thing that makes him appear to be unfaithful in his promise, and when it's paused, is because of their unfaithfulness. See, their unfaithfulness is the issue. He is always faithful. And the thing we have to ask ourselves is, how is our faithfulness to God? If he is consistently always faithful and he asks that of us how are we doing because what's interesting is we always want God to keep his promises we're really really big on God keeping his promises but we're not so big on us keeping our promises 
many times we fail him. We say things like this, Lord, I'm going to honor you with my life. It's a pretty awesome promise. Lord, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve you with my life. Lord, I'm going to be holy. I know I failed you, but from here on out, I'm going to be, I'm going to be holy. And then when we fail, which inevitably we will, what's amazing is that guess who's still faithful? Still faithful. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what does it say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. Faithful to forgive. How beautiful is the Lord. And so as Joshua and the Israelites put their faith back in God's promise, next he establishes them in their victory. Verse 2. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. So we see here that this same guarantee, the same easy victory is being given to them. Hey, this is exactly what's going to happen. The same way you guys had great victory at Jericho, it's going to be the same deal. Now this would give Joshua a great sense of, of ease. Because recognize the fact that he remembers the miraculous victory against this fortress of a city that seemed impenetrable. And by the fact of how easily that took place, this would certainly give him confidence as he looked at this rather unimpressive city of Ai that stands before them today. So God's assured them the same kind of victory at Jericho. But what's interesting is after that, there's a big change. Notice what he said in verse 2. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for a prey unto yourselves. That's completely different. Though the victory will be the same, that is a very different statement. What happened at Jericho? Everything was off limits. Everything. But he's saying here to AI, nothing's off limits. It's all for you. Now, in our previous study of Jericho, what we saw is the fact that the reason God told them to deny themselves of the spoils was the fact that, guess what they were supposed to do? They were supposed to learn. He was teaching them to prioritize him. That he needed to be first. We call it the first fruits, right? The first fruits of the increase. And what's interesting is God established this fact back in Deuteronomy chapter number 26, I believe. Yeah, 26, 1 and 2. God established this with Joshua and Moses way back then before they ever got into into, uh, that place, Canaan. And it shall be, it says, and it shall be when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possess it and dwellest therein. Here's the rule. He says, look, thou, thou, thou shalt take of the first of all the fruits of the earth, which thou shalt bring of the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee and shalt put it in a basket and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. So all that was taken from Jericho was to go to God. We know that to be a fact. That's what God told them they were to do. Now, obviously, Achan messed that up, right? He took his little portion and kept it for himself. But what's interesting is by the fact that they destroyed it, they burned it, guess what they did? They returned it to God. So they had fulfilled their tithe unto Him. And can I promise you that if you're not paying your tithe, whoever you are, if you're not, and listen, I don't know who pays and who doesn't pay. Unless somebody tells me something, I have no clue. I don't want to know. But can I promise you the same way it was with Achan, where God made sure that he was going to get it, same is true for us. But on the other end of that, if you're a faithful giver, praise God. Because can I tell you this? God loves a cheerful giver, a faithful giver. And God gives back to us in ways that we cannot ever even imagine. How many of us had uh, maybe an appliance in your house that just, just will not die? Oh, my goodness gracious. I've, I've got, a, I've got a, a, a dryer that just is just, I mean, it makes some noise every once in a while. But doggone, that thing will not die. 
And I'm like, praise God. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't, it might, it might die today, but up to today, it has survived. God, I'm not testing you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is God gives back. You know, health, uh, provision, it's not always something that's going to be financial. It's not that God's just going, oh, you're going to you know, you put $100 in the offering plate and you're going to get $500 back, all that silly stuff. It's not that. But God gives back. And what we see is the fact that there's an old statement that says you can't outgive God. And I think many of us in this room, my wife and I can certainly attest to the fact that that is an absolute fact. Amen. God has blessed us in so much more than I could ever have asked him. The fact that he would restore a broken marriage. That was destroyed. And give me a love for my wife that I've never, ever dreamed I could have. And give us a relationship and make us one. Restore a son who was on the way to destruction. Work in my life time and time again and do things that I could not have paid all the money in the world. Would have never, never bought it. Can't outgive God. Listen to this promise to, the, to Israel in Malachi 3.10. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that ye shall not be room enough to receive it. Many of us could say in this room, man, we are blessed beyond measure in such miraculous ways because he's faithful. Right? And after honoring the Lord and the way he instructed them to do, he makes all the future spoils available to them. Remember this, he described it as a, plant, a land flowing with milk and honey, picturing abundant blessings. God's desire was always not just to provide for them, because recognize he did that with the manna in the wilderness. He provided for them, but he kept telling them, don't get satisfied here. Don't try to be satisfied here. Land flowing with milk and honey, get to the promised land. And in your Christian life, if you're in the wilderness today and you're trying to make the manna just taste good enough to you, listen, remember what they did. They took the manna, what did they do? They ground it, repressed it, they packed it, they made it into pizzas and tacos and they did everything they could make it into. And guess what it always tasted like? Manna. It didn't taste, and they were like, oh, we're so tired of this manna. But God was telling you, hey, listen, it's to sustain you. I don't want you to get it satisfied here. This isn't what I have for you. Get across the Jordan. Leave this behind. And guess what? As soon as I got across the Jordan, guess what happened? The manna stopped. God said, I gave it to you to sustain you, not to satisfy you. Satisfaction is in the promised land. And that's what God wants. God wants for us. And it's because of their faithfulness. They just did what God asked them to do. And then, listen, <laughs> they'll be able to experience His great abundance for them. Verse number 2 says this, Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for a prey unto yourselves because of your faithfulness to give to me now I will give to you abundantly I will bless you God rewards faithfulness and so after God has established them in their confidence their destination his promise their victory he then shifts to the practicality of what must be done in their conquest of Canaan as he gets to their tactics he says, lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. Now, what we notice right away is this is a very different game plan than what he gave them to Jericho. Okay? Jericho, what they were supposed to do, they were supposed to openly and boldly march around the city to make themselves seen for seven days. This is the exact opposite. He says, you're going to set an ambush. You're not to be seen. Now you're going to, you're going to hide. Now, it's interesting. Is this because of the fact that they had already blown it? They'd already shown up and they, I knew they were out there and they were going to come? I don't know. Maybe. 
All we know is this, God changed his tactic. And what this reveals to us is a couple different things that I wanted to kind of highlight today. First of all, that God doesn't always handle situations the same way. Right? Doesn't always handle them the same way. One situation, he might allow tragedy to strike someone's life to get to them, to get to a hardened heart because he knows what it's going to take. And then that same person in another situation, he may shield them from an incredibly destructive act because he knows that it's too much for them to handle. So God lovingly allows situations because guess what? You know what? His ways are always, they're always best, but we don't always understand them. He'll handle things in different ways. So when he's blessing us and when he's holding back blessings, both places, he's doing it out of love. Recognize in Hebrews chapter 12, we get a glimpse into the heart of God as he reveals his reasoning behind the way he rebukes us, the way he deals with a, a, a hidden sin or sin in people's lives. And he does this in comparison of our earthly fathers. Notice this in Hebrews 12 verses 10 and 11. For they verily, speaking of our earthly fathers, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. They do it for a selfish reason. But he, speaking of God, but he for our profit. Okay? He's dealing with our sinful behavior. He's dealing with our rebelliousness. And he's doing it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. He's shaping us unto holiness. Verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. It's not an enjoyable thing to go through, but grievous. It's hard. Nevertheless, what's the purpose? Afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What this reveals to us is the incredible heart of God for humanity. That even while we are in rebellion, even while he is rebuking us for our sinfulness, what is the purpose? He's doing it to shape us to look more like him. Amen. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now why? What is the purpose? What is he trying to do? What's his purpose for doing this? Why is he allowing the good and the bad for whom, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is shaping our lives through the good and the bad. So through the fruitfulness and through the failure, God is conforming us to the image of his dear son. Amen. After all, realize we're supposed to be Christians, Christians. We're supposed to be Christ-like. God is shaping us through our good choices and our bad. And then next we see this is the fact that God is unpredictable. Now, this is true in every way except for one, for sure. And this is always the same, which is God's stance on sin. God's stance on sin. Recognize Proverbs 8, verse 13 says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Psalm 5, verses 4 through 5, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. God hates sin. He hates sin. And that is something that we see time and time and time again through Scripture. He's always drawing us away from evil and unto holiness. He's always trying to reprove us and draw us away from our flesh. 1 Peter 1.16 because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy, God says. That's his desire for us. That's right. So that aspect of God is absolutely predictable, but, and it'll never change. But understand the tactics of how to get us there, oh, they're extremely unpredictable. Yeah. 
we have no idea what's going on. Because listen, we've all come down different roads. If we sat down and we all wrote out our stories, they would just be the, just the craziest mismatch of lefts and rights and U-turns and all kinds of craziness. We would not, none of our roads would look the same. We've all taken different paths in our walk with God. And we recognize the fact that, okay, we all have different paths. And what's interesting about God is the fact that he personalizes our journey. He walks with us down it. He guides us. He draws us. He shifts us. He steps us. He puts roadblocks sometimes in our life to stop us or he slows us down so that we will take a different path. And through this personalizing it through our lives, understanding, and this is using our choices, good and bad, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Amen. And we always think about this. It always comes to my mind. GPS, right? GPS, we'll call it a God positioning system. And I've given you this example before. But what's cool about your GPS is no matter how idiotic you are, you could just be the biggest moron in the whole world. And you set in your destination, boop, and it goes 14 minutes and 33 seconds. Okay, great. And you start driving. And you just go, meh, I'm going left. Does it go, that's it, you're done. I quit. No, what does it say? Recalculating. And then you make another wrong turn. Recalculating. And another wrong turn. Recalculating. It just keeps taking your bad choices and redirecting them to get you to an expected end. And can I tell you that good and bad choices will make the right choice, man, and we'll do right, man. God will use that. Praise the Lord. But guess what? He can also take our bad choices, our mistakes, our missteps, our failures, and he can take all of those things and use them. And what's not only, not only just to get us to the destination, but the destination is for us to look more like him. That's the goal. You're saved. That's not just the destination. The destination is that you would be Christ-like. That's God's desire for us, that we would be holy. That's what he told us. Be holy as I am holy. That's the desire. So sometimes we've got to make some really boneheaded decisions. And we've got to go through some adversity. And we've got to go through some, some of the repercussions of our choices so that it allows us to shift the way that we think or the things that we do. And God works through us in these situations. All of this, all of this keeps us guessing. We don't know. What's he going to do? Because guess what God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. And it's with this understanding that God's ways are not our ways and that we don't know what he's going to do, that we just have to trust him. And we just have to follow him. And what we'll see here with Joshua is the fact, and he and the Israelites, is they're going to do exactly what God tells them. They are going to do exactly what he says. They won't question. They won't doubt. They'll just do. And the reason why they'll be successful is when God spoke to Joshua, their fellowship had been restored. Amen. He had done what he had to do to make things right. Amen. And he had ears to hear what God had for him. As God established them in their confidence, as God established them in their destination, his promises, their victory, and their tactics. And can I tell you, listen, that if you have been restored back to God, through, through uh, salvation or through rededication or whatever's gone in your life. Man, if you are there and that's who you are, understand that the Lord is ready to use your life. And if you're ready for Him to use your life, for Him to take your life and to use it for His great glory, He wants you to be established in the same things, exactly the same things, having our confidence in Him, not in ourselves, trusting in His destination, for our life instead of ours, holding on to His promises and living by faith. Listen, holding on to the victories that He's already promised us. 
You're more than conquerors through him that loved you, right? We are Christians. We are born again children of God. If you're here today and you do not know Christ, you need to know him. I beg you. And the last thing, trusting his tactics for our future, even when we don't understand or agree. Because sometimes things will change. And if we can accept it and say, Lord, you know what? I know that you know. Right now, I don't understand. In fact, I don't even agree. But I know you have a plan. And I'm going to acquiesce. I'm going to give in to what you have for me. Because you see what's going to happen with Joshua and, and, and the Israelites? Guess what? They can be an example to us. If we'll follow their example. Because what we're going to see is this is the road to conquest. We've come out of sin. We've been restored. And now we're back on track. And listen, if your life's off course, if you're not where you need to be today, hey, you know what to do. You know what to do. He's calling you. God's heart is calling you. And listen, if you're here today and you do not know him, I can promise you his heart is calling you. His desire is for you to be restored. If you're out of fellowship because of sin, get right with God. Be restored. Get back on track. If you're out of sorts with God because guess what? You've never received him. Hey, he's calling you today. Come unto me, all ye the labor, right? And I will give you rest. If you're tired of bearing the burden of your life and the responsibilities of all that you've done and you're ready to be set free, God can forgive you just like that. And guess what? When he forgives, he forgets. You can be renewed. You can be made new. Because I can tell you, 34 34 years old, I was a sloppy, sinful mess. And I'm not great before you today, but I'm redeemed. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And if you need redemption, you're in the right place. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, for your mercy, for your love, for your incredible uh, long-suffering for humanity. And, Lord, especially in my own life, I just thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you'd work in the hearts of my brothers and sisters today. God, I pray for those that maybe are struggling today. Maybe their fellowship is broken. Maybe they're struggling with a sin or there's something in their life, God, that's not pleasing to you. I pray, Father, that you help them, uh, Lord, to be drawn to you, Lord, that they would just forgive Uh, themselves. They would let go of the past, God. Perhaps sinful things that are going on in their life even now, Lord, they would lay them before you and return uh, back into your loving arms. God, help us to repent of the things that are wrong in our lives, and I pray that, God, you help us to set our hearts and our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you say, look, I don't don't have a relationship with God. I I don't know him. I understand what that's like. 20 years ago, I did not know God. I knew nothing about him but he loved me anyway. And he called out to my heart and I responded. And today, if you are here and you say, look, I do not have a relationship with Christ. You're watching this online and you say, look, I'm not saved. I know I'm not. As he calls out to you, all you have to do is surrender. That's what salvation is. It's nothing more than a surrender to the call on your heart. As God draws you to salvation, he's asking you, do you understand that you're a sinner? Do you know you need a savior? Are you willing to put your faith in me?
if you will. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today, you're watching online, you're watching this recorded, and you say, look, I don't have that relationship with Christ. Listen, there's no magic prayer that's going to save you. There is no ceremony that will save you. It is nothing more than a broken heart reaching out to God. And as he reaches out to you, all you have to do is respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. In your heart and mind, repeat after me. Again, it won't be the words that will save you. It will be the desire of your heart as God calls you, even now. With their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're not saved, you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for the way that I have failed you, the way that I failed my family, and the way that I failed myself. I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and for you to save my soul. Lord, thank you for loving me in spite of myself. Thank you for being willing to save me. God, I thank you for what you've done in my heart today. Please help me to live for you. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.